from London where they were comparing sevoflurane uh, versus uh, nitrous oxide for analgesia and labour. And interestingly showed sevoflurane is probably more analgesic. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was um, the women were drowsier. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and but interestingly had less nausea and vomiting, which is what Rog. Hi, everyone. <laughs> hey, Rog, do you know where the best place to play hide and seek in a hospital is? <laughs> where? It's in the ICU. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's a good way to start. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Oh, God. I've got Graham. I haven't, we haven't done a podcast together for a while, Graham. I think um, 12 months. Is that right? Mm. Oh, I might have slipped in for the 100th anniversary, but yeah. other than that, I apologise because, um, well, basically, uh, yeah, we should do them more often. Anyway, we've um, decided to get back together and we've got a. Um, a great topic, I reckon, to this week. Do you want to take your mask off, or do you don't trust me? Oh, I'm going to take my mask off. <laughs> Muffles the sound. Yeah, I think you don't have to... Well, officially, we don't have to wear masks if we're not in patient care areas now, which is good. Unmasked. Um, so this week, we thought we'd do a, um, a deep dive into the use of nitrous oxide in labour. Uh, we, m- we might mention it briefly, how we how we use it for anaesthesia in theatre too. But um, So, yeah. Um, do you want to kick off, or do you want me to? I've, I've written. I've, I usually promise. I say to uh, Graham that the, the way we should do it is we just write down eight dot points, and we'll just <laughs> we'll just like wing it as we go. But uh, reading through all the articles that we uh, that we printed out, um, I realised that that was probably beyond my scope. I don't know if I can remember everything without making some notes. So I've been a bit geeky this week, and I've actually written out some notes. I'm going to glance down at them. I'm not going to try and read them like a like a lecture. That would be a bit boring. I should give a plug for a book I read recently. It's called The Chloroformist. And it's yes. by Christine Ball, who I understand is an uh, anaesthetist in Melbourne. <clears throat> is it from the uh, – you, you got it from the um, – I got the from library. the Ansker Library. Ansker Library, yeah. Mm, but it was recommended by my mother, and she got yep. it from the local Shire Library. Okay, I wonder if it's on, because I listen to audio books. So I don't really read that, that many books anymore. I'm listening, I'm busy listening to Bill Bryson books at the moment. <laughs> They're very entertaining. <laughs> listening to the one Bill Bryson's one on Australia at the moment, it's quite quite entertaining. If anyone hasn't listened to that, it's a little bit out of date. I think you, oh, I think it was I've like 1999 or something. Yeah, some yeah, time ago. Yeah. Mm. I did read it back then as well, actually. But it's um, yeah, it's it's quite funny. Um, I'm into podcasts. The one I'm listening <laughs> to at the moment is. Um, Great, dicta- great dictators. Run to Robert Mugabe. All oh, right, it's very interesting. He's, he's still alive. Yeah, no, he's dead. Oh, did he die? Yeah, yeah well into his nineties. Yep. Mm. And he died recently, though. I mean, mm. he handed over to his um, lieutenant. I talk about it with um, one of the nurses I work with, uh, Osborne Park, who's who's from Zimbabwe. Yeah. The, the anyway, le- the lieutenant's got a uh, nickname, the Crocodile. Yeah. He, apparently, mm. he's uh, even more sort of militant or militaristic. <laughs> um. Anyway, let's stick to the topic. <laughs> Everyone's going to turn off soon. Okay, I thought we'd kick off nitrous oxide. So uh, I'll uh, talk about the discovery. So, um, yeah, so, not, so nitrous oxide is N2O, not nitric oxide, if you're, if you're busy Googling while you're listening to us. Nitric oxide is also an important uh, molecule in medicine, but it's not the same thing. So apparently nitrous oxide was discovered in 1772 by Joseph Priestley. Who called it deflagisticated nitrous air? <laughs> That's just a great term. I wish. I think we should keep. I think we go back to calling it that. 
sounds much better. Um, and then uh, a little bit later on, I think in the late in the 1790s, Humphrey Davy coined the term laughing gas because um, uh, that's when they started um, you know, experimenting in, in its um, effects and discovered that it could be used for or imbibed in for entertainment purposes and that sometimes people got a bit giggly and um, went a bit funny. Uh, and so then basically, I know I'm doing all the talking, yeah. Graham's nodding and you guys mm. can't see that. So then basically, it, um, it's despite the fact that Humphrey Davy did make a few notes there that it could be, uh, perhaps be might be useful in surgery and uh, that it was it appeared to be analgesic, no one really used that um, knowledge for many years. It, just be, it was just a, a gas for... Um, Entertainment or you know recreational use uh, until the late later on in that century, and I think in January 1845, Horace Wells was a dentist in uh, Massachusetts who famously uh, attempted to impress the senior surgeons and clinicians at Boston, um, uh, and uh, did a demonstration where he extracted the tooth of a uh, volunteer. Who volunteered to have nitrous oxide, and but apparently this um, volunteer cried out in pain during the extraction of the tooth, and um, it was uh, basically considered a failure. Mm. And uh, poor old Horace Wells uh, sort of left with his tail between his legs. Um, so that was the sort of first attempted use in um, medicine. Um, and then, of course, famously, um, not long after that, about a year later, a rather dodgy character named William Morton did a similar thing again using, using ether, which apparently had already been used for four years by someone called Crawford Long. Mm. <coughs> anyway, but but um, this was and that was the famous Ether Day, October the sixteenth, in eighteen forty-six. Welcome to the Ether Dome. Yes, that's right. So the famous uh, operating theatre in Boston, where ether was used, and they did you know uh, cut a tumour off someone's neck when he was completely unconscious and unaware of anything at all, mm. and thus our specialty was born. So nitrous oxide was all kicking around, and amongst all that as well. Whew, a lot of talking. Yes. <laughs> pharmacology. So we're going to get through some of this um, stuff. So the pharmacology of it. I know the, I know the harbour process. Yeah. Oh, that how it's made? Mm. Okay. Um, you want to tell us about it or not? <laughs> no, not particularly. No, I don't think we need to know that. Everyone, I think most people who are listening will probably know that um, it's colourless and odourless. One thing they might not know is that it does... It's like oxygen, it supports combustion, so you've got to be a bit careful with it. So, you know, obviously when oxygen's around, you'll be careful about smoking cigarettes and stuff. Nitrous oxide is exactly the same. So no nangs and um, <laughs> bongs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Simultaneously. It will, it will accelerate any fire that's around. Um, the reason why it's good as an anaesthetic is because it's poorly soluble, and so it kicks in really quick, and it wears off really quick. Uh, and that's why it was used in general anaesthesia. Um and it doesn't have any serious cardiovascular effects. And it's thought to work, for those out there who want to understand why it's analgesic, it's thought to work on the NMDA receptors, opioid receptors, and uh, adrenergic, you know, alpha-2 receptors in the spinal cord. Unfortunately, it's not very potent, so you have to... So, so you can't use it as a general anaesthetic by itself. Like, you need 104% uh, to knock someone out using a Mac, which I won't, we won't bother boring on with that, the definition of that if, if they're not an anaesthetic pers- uh, person who's learned that for their exams. That would not be compatible with life, <coughs> No, it? that's right. So that means you can't breathe 104% of something. Um, you have to use hyperbaric chambers to even figure out what its Mac is. Mm. Um, obviously, you need to breathe at least 20% oxygen. 
Um, so you can't knock someone right out with it. So in general anaesthesia, you know, we've, for many years we've used it. Um, because it's such a short-acting drug, we've often used it with some of the older anaesthetic volatiles that we had around um, previously, like halothane, influrane, and um, um, isoflurane. We often used it with nitrous oxide so that um, when we turned everything off at the end of a case, we could wake people up. We didn't have to sit around for two hours while they breathed it out. I love, I love <laughs> right. I used to love nitrous as a, a drug until I read uh, yes read recently yeah. on the topic. Yeah, so um, we'll talk I, about it. We'll talk about what's happening. Like I remember when I started anaesthesia back in the day when horse and cart and <laughs> lumber coal for breakfast. <laughs> um, I won't say how long ago it was, but I do remember that. A lot which of the, which uh, machines were you using? A lot of the anaesthetics we were giving was isoflurane and nitrous because mm. uh, isoflurane was very cheap and nitrous oxide obviously... We always combine nitrous oxide with it because otherwise patients would take forever to wake up if you use just isoflurane. Um, so we use it all the time. And nowadays we... There was a few cases where you wouldn't use it. Yeah, sometimes you wouldn't use it. We still had... We did have sevaflurane around, but it was mm. quite expensive. And in fact, some places, you know, it was only you really used for paediatrics and things like that where you can yeah. do gas inductions. But now we just use sevaflurane all the time. Yeah, sevo was at least three times as expensive as isoflurane until the yes. patent expired. Yeah, that's Maybe. right. About 10 years ago. Yep. Mm. <clears throat> All right. So what we really wanted to talk about, though, was the use of nitrous oxide in labour. Um, so uh, so it wasn't actually – so we'll go back because we'll probably um, – I mean, the, the history of nitrous oxide use in labour is sort of intimately linked with the use of other sort of inhalational anaesthetic drugs. So actually nitrous oxide probably wasn't used – uh, initially, it was, it was ether and chloroform which we used. You know, so um, those were the ones that were uh, discovered in the uh, late 1840s. So, in 1846 was Ether Day, and even 1847, so probably a year or even less um, after that, James Simpson, who was a obstetrician from Edinburgh, used it to um, help a girl who had a deformed pelvis um, have a baby. So, within a year, they were starting to use them in labour. Um, and, you know, quite famously, Queen Victoria uh, used chloroform for the birth of her eighth child, John Snow, a famous um, mm-hmm. um, English physician, administered chloroform to Queen Victoria for her, the birth of her eighth and ninth child, children. So um, over the years, you know, and still to this day, women inhale um, uh, anaesthetic drugs, you know, nitrous oxide probably being the most common, but lots of other ones as well, for use uh, as an analgesic. I saw, labor. A, I saw a green whistle under a uh, labouring woman's pillow the other day. Yep, she'd come so, in. She'd come in with the ambulance yep, using so, methoxyfluorine. Yeah, so we talk about so all. So there is a whole list of different drugs that people have breathed or inhaled. You know, inhalational anaesthetic drugs which have been used over the years. Initially, ether and chloroform, but ethylene, trichloroethylene, methoxyfluorine, which is what the green whistle is. Mm-hmm. Um, even sevaflurane and cyclopropane, they've all been studied. Sevaflurane, even recently, there was a. Um, the BJA had an article, uh, to a couple of um, articles in 2007, which is not that long ago, from London, where they were comparing sevaflurane uh, versus uh, nitrous oxide for analgesia and labour. And interestingly, showed sevaflurane is probably more analgesic. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was um, the women were drowsier. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and but interestingly, had less nausea and vomiting, which is what we sort of we know that nitrous oxide causes nitri- uh, nausea and vomiting. So that's inter- interesting. They never really took off, but um, methoxyfluorine was used a lot. So methoxyfluorine is um, the green whistle, which we, we might even talk about that later on when we get to the environmental stuff. 
Um, that was used in labor ward quite commonly, apparently, in the 1960s. Um, and is used a lot in um, here in Australia or in Western Australia uh, with the green whistle. Yeah, so ambulance services use it for as an, an inhalational anaesthetic. Some proceduralists use it as well, I believe. Yeah, mm. yep. Um, so nitrous oxide itself in Australia, anyway. Um, so, the, so the early problems with nitrous oxide were that um, probably just equipment and uh, monitoring related. It was hard to sort of. Uh, guarantee that you weren't administering hypoxic mixtures initially because it was quite hard to sort of acid, you know, to measure things carefully. They didn't have the same technology we do nowadays, and so that's why there was a bit of reluctance, I think, to use it. Um, so it's only really from the 1950s onwards that they started using it here in Australia, and it was sort of um, its use sort of took off because you know, we we sort of similar to, you know. I guess our analgesia and labourers sort of mirrored what was going on in the UK and someone called Michael Tunstall in the UK uh, came up with Entinox in 1963, which is the 50% oxygen, 50% nitrous oxide mixture, um, which was a um, an innovation which probably uh, rapidly increased its use because it was so safe. Mm-hmm. Whereas prior to that, everyone was worried about... Um, hypoxia. Accidental hypoxia, mm-hmm. when patients were breathing just nitrous or not enough oxygen. Yeah. And then uh, and, and, uh, I got a paper that said that in 1951 in the Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne, um, they had uh, installed some devices that allowed piped nitrous oxide to the labour ward and labour ward rooms, but with 70% nitrous and 30% oxygen. So hospitals started obviously installing um, um, pipe supplies of nitrous oxide to make it safer. Mm. So I think that's how um, its use increased, I think. I should do. I should do a deep dive into nitrous. <laughs> yeah, because obviously it's a fascinating history. Yeah, in, well, its, in its use in obstetrics in Australia. Yes, um, yeah. that's right. So I've got an article. Uh, I found an article which um, uh, I didn't share with Graham because I only found it uh, about an hour ago on uh, labour analgesia developments in labour analgesia and the use in Australia, written by um, some colleagues at uh, in 2015 in Brisbane. In Brisbane, yeah, yeah. and it's really interesting, but. Um, it talks about all the different types of labour analgesia. Maybe we could do something on that later, yeah, which is to nitrous. Mm. One of the interesting things with some people, well, certainly the Australian listeners, and maybe people from Australia and New Zealand who are listening, might not be aware of, is uh, the geographic variation in how and uh, whether or not nitrous oxide is used. So, for example, um, nitrous oxide was or well, has not been used in uh, labour for analgesia in the US until very recently. So probably about, I think it's 2011 it was introduced. So for much of, um, yeah, so it's just never been used, but it's only really still used in a minority of centres, I think. Do you, do you know why that is? I'm not sure, actually, I think. So we do have a paper from, well, one of the things we were reading, what, uh, uh, recent publications on nitrous oxide is actually from you know, the Americans because, you know, because they were unfamiliar with it, they, they've written some good review articles on it. Um, so that they're, you know, um, the, people are familiar the, with people the, can get familiar with it. Yeah, yeah medication. Um, but it also throws light on the fact that it hasn't actually been as well studied as we perhaps think. It's just something that we use because we've used because we've always used it. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so anyone, so so what we, what we do know is that it is or has been commonly used in the UK, Australia, New Zealand, Scandinavia. 
anyone out there's listeners out there from other parts of the world want to send us a comment um, in France telling us whether they use it in their country or not that'd be good I don't know I in mean, Europe I think most people who listen to this podcast are from Western Australia but mm. there are, there's a, um, people from other parts of the world and I'd be really interested to know um, yeah I have no idea whether it's used much I asked Sigrid who's one of our colleagues whether it was used in, in uh, Austria and she wasn't sure um, she's, I think she said it was but whether it's used much I don't know mm. in Asia <clears throat> yep that would be interesting to know I didn't see any in the public hospital in Bombay when I was there yep <laughs> what were you there for oh my elective you, you, you getting your boob implant yeah. for cheap <laughs> my, getting my teeth straightened <laughs> um what should we talk about next? Effectiveness. Yep. Okay. Mm. So, what, yeah, so what did you read? How, how effective is it? I wrote uh, some notes. Uh, yeah, I mean, the uh, information I took from the papers was that it um, has some analgesic properties, yep. some anxiolytic properties, yep. and um, perhaps its anxiolysis is a stronger feature than its analgesia. Yeah, so yeah, that's exactly right. So what I read was that it depends on what you're assessing. So if you so if you ask um, about analgesia, um, you know, pain scores and analgesia, mm. it actually scores pretty badly. But if you ask about satisfaction, um, it scores pretty well. So women rate, uh, you know, satisfaction scores pretty high. Um, but if you ask them about pain scores, it's not too good. And that, and that makes sense because yes. that, that fits with what we see, is doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. Um, so there's not as much research on it as you should hope would have been done for something that's been around this long. But um, de- compared to placebo, it is definitely better. So you, it's it's a better analgesic. Compared to neuraxial analgesia like epidurals, it's much worse. Um, but obviously, it's a lot easier to to use. Um, uh, compared to fluorines, so that's things like methoxyfluorine, um, sevoflurane, etc. It appears to be less analgesic. Um, and, co- and it causes more nausea and vomiting. But on the plus side, it's it's a bit shorter acting and it causes less sedation. Um, and that fits with, with what we know from um, our, our practice using it for general anaesthetics. Yes. Um, compared to remifentanil, it's also not as good. So remifentanil PCIAs are more, provide better analgesia and lower pain scores better. But obviously remifentanil PCIAs are high... It's a high lot. Of, it's a lot of work for, yes. for the staff administering them, um, and lots of other things regarding them as well. I think we did a whole podcast on that. <coughs> and compared to intramuscular opioids, it's only been compared to intramuscular pethidine. Actually, never been compared to morphine, but it was uh, nitrous oxide was better than yes. intramuscular opioids. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's what it fits with what we see, isn't it? Exactly. It's it's, it's useful, but it's not amazing, and. Um, and since it was introduced into North America, or in the US, so I should say, because um, I'm not sure about Canada, but since it was introduced into the US, they have done some studies looking at, um, you know, in hospitals that introduced it. Has it lowered epidural rates, for example? And it hasn't. So, you know, a unit that was doing, you know, had an epidural rate of, I can't remember, I think it was about 70%. Yep, still about 70%. Introduced nitrous oxide, and despite the fact that um, a number of women were using nitrous oxide, they're still doing the same number of epidurals. So, um, yeah. So it's energy. It's always hard to know what those studies mean. Yeah, it though. doesn't know what that means. Yeah. So, so oh, definitely, women, uh, a lot of women rate it, rate it high, and you know, they're, they're satisfied with it, and they, and obviously, a lot of people do use it. Mm. And um, 
yeah, and we know that labour pain is one of the most painful things you can have. <coughs> so um, anything that has even got some analgesia is, is welcomed often. Um, all right, so we're getting to the part now where we're going to start talking about the, the concerns or the adverse effects and toxicities and various other things. Is there anything else? Should we have a little a short break? Did you did you hear about the man who accidentally um, gave his wife super glue instead of lipstick? She's still not talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of a crap one. <laughs> Sorry, what's, grows a, on what's a thing that's... Uh, <laughs> oh, I couldn't remember it. Uh-huh. What's a three-letter word that um, starts with gas? Ah. <laughs> hey, I like that one. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Okay, adverse effects. Well, we've already talked a little bit about that, haven't we? Mm. So nausea and vomiting and dizziness are the most common. Um, sort of, maybe not adverse effects, contraindications. So, so nitrous oxide has a tendency to diffuse into any gas-filled space inside your body. Um, which is uncommon, but things like um, pneumothoraces, um, ear, your ear, middle your middle ear. ear, or your bowel, if you have like a bowel obstruction or something like that, um, any of those things, or a bubble in your eye or something like that, all of those can get expanded, um, so that's pretty dangerous and or can cause symptoms. Um, so that's rare, you to encounter any of those things in labor ward, but I guess if they, someone did have those, you've got to... Uh, know enough about the pharmacology to realise you shouldn't use nitrous oxide. Um, Doesn't help with laparoscopic surgery no. in the gynae or obstetric realm yeah. in as much as the <coughs> bowel distends and it makes it harder for the operator as well as potentially um, creates a gaseous environment that yes. um, that um, um, promotes combustion yeah, that's right. in the presence of diathermy. Yeah, that's right. And so, like, I did remember years ago seeing a study where they used nitrous oxide instead of carbon dioxide for laparoscopies. And the patients had much less pain afterwards because carbon dioxide is quite irritating mm. to your peritoneum. And nitrous oxide, obviously, is analgesic. Um, but obviously, you can't use it because it's like using oxygen. <laughs> you can't do any diathermy or anything. So all you can do is look around. You can't do anything. <laughs> um, I suppose you get suture. But um, what was I going to say? Uh what does it do to the pulmonary circulation? Pulmonary hypertension, it's not a good idea either. It's not, no. Yeah, so if you've got someone with um, cardiac disease who has pulmonary hypertension, you wouldn't be want to give them, wouldn't want to be giving them um, nitrous oxide in, during their labour either, which is something you should think about in a teaching hospital like ours where we do get more with heart disease. <coughs> um, all right, an accidental hypoxia is another issue, but it's, it's less likely in nowadays because we have more safer ways of administering it um, and good monitoring and monitoring as well so we have pulse oximetry which didn't exist in the back in the day um, are they pink are they blue <laughs> yeah that's right it's only when they went blue that you notice um, longer term exposure to it and there's this concerns because it inhibits this enzyme called methionine synthase isn't it which is involved in b12 and folate um which are important for cellular processes. So it has been um, linked with um, neurological and hematological and even cardiovascular toxic effects, but that's usually in people who have long, prolonged use. So it's it's a bit unclear about whether someone using it sort of temporarily for, you know, for a labour 
during a, a period of labour, whether that's relevant or not. Um, that was something that was um, studied in regards to general anaesthesia back uh, maybe 15 years ago with the Enigma study where we looked at whether patients having major surgery who had nitrous oxide, whether they had any of those toxic effects. Yes. Well, and, and didn't seem to show anything. Mm. But I think if people breathe a lot regularly, like every, you know, abu- people who used to abuse it and things like that, you would get bone marrow suppression and neuropathies and I ca- cardiovascular problems. I notice our local um, government officials have made it far more difficult for people to get access to uh, the bulbs of nitrous. Yes, which, which are used for whipped cream and things, weren't they? Yes, yep. but you see them misused. Uh, well, I've seen uh, evidence yep. in multiple um, public places. Yeah, I still, see them, scattered, scattered, I still see them scattered on the road. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a bit of an issue, yeah. yeah. So that's... that's um, and so people have in the past sort of queried, you know, what's the effect of those things? on um, the mother, the fetus. You know, the fetus is growing and its brain's developing. I think in general most people think very short-term use, like like in labour, in labor um, is probably unlikely to cause any problems in the majority of people who... Um, but there might be some individuals who are, say, malnourished or have B12 folate problems yes. who might be sensitive to it. Um, staff exposure's been Staff exposure is probably more important, actually. Mm. So so in theatre, when we use volatile anaesthetics like um, nitrous oxide and sevofluorone and things, we have scavenging in our machines which, which collect the gas and and take it away from theatre. Code oh. blue paediatric. Code, code blue paediatric. <laughs> um, okay. But down in labour ward, you know, the patients breathe it in and then they just blow it out into the room. Yes. And so someone who works on labour ward for a long period of time, you know, midwives... Um, probably the most uh, likely to be exposed to high levels of it um, and, and it was made uh, the point was made in one of the papers that maybe yeah this hasn't really been looked at mm. um, if, particularly if they're uh, working long shifts yeah so if you're in a, in a closed room where mm. someone's using a lot of nitrous oxide and you and this is a regular thing that happens to you day after day for, for many months you may well be exposed to quite a lot of nitrous oxide what is so what are the implications for staff mm. I don't know if anyone's no, I don't think anyone monitors that sort of thing. <coughs> um, and it hasn't really been studied, but it is a, a point to think about. Yes. All right. What about the... Uh... And then finally, more recently, uh, as has come into consciousness is uh, the atmospheric and environmental um, effects. And I've written, written toxicity because it's probably is uh, toxicity of... Um, all, all the gases that we use in medicine, mm. including um, some of the um, um, other volatiles that we use in theatre, um, but nitrous oxide obviously is um, the main volatile or, you know, gas, a medical gas that we use in labour ward, um, and, and what are its effects are on the atmosphere. And with, um, it can it does a couple of things. It, it's um, like carbon dioxide, it can um, contribute to global warming, so it's a greenhouse gas. Um, but it also is a bit like chlorofluorocarbons, CFCs. It's bad for the ozone too. In fact, now that CFCs have been banned, nitrous oxide is the worst gas for the, for the ozone layer. Mm. It uh, takes a long time to break down. Yes. And while it's breaking down, it has the potential to uh, interact with the ozone layer and deplete it. Yep. Mm. And it's a, um, so I had to get my head around this. I had to do a bit of... Um, um, Homework, so to get the, the the terminology and the numbers that they use. So they talk about um, GWP, which is 
I didn't do my homework very well, did I? <laughs> Greenhouse something, pump something. Potential. Uh, potential, yeah. Green, uh, uh, global, global warming, warming potential. potential. Not greenhouse. No. <laughs> okay, I've got it. Global warming potential. So everything is compared to carbon dioxide, which is a, a, a GWP of one. So nitrous oxide has a GWP of 265. So obviously, is that bad? So obviously, um, it mo- bad. Molecule, molecule for molecule, it's a lot worse than carbon dioxide. But there's obviously carbon dioxide. There's a lot more of it in the atmosphere. Having said that, um, nitrous oxide does contribute 7% of the total greenhouse gas effect in the atmosphere. So carbon dioxide is the worst, the thing that's warming the planet. Mm-hmm. Methane is the second, and nitrous oxide is the third. Um, a lot of nitrous oxide is released um, in industry and agriculture and obviously in medicine. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what the contributions are. I think um, agriculture and industry are probably a lot more than than in hospitals, but still a significant amount of nitrous oxide is, is or has traditionally been released by us into the atmosphere. All right, so that sort of puts in perspective why it's bad. Um, I read one fact that I remember, and that is yep. driving a car for one kilometre yep. has the same effect on the environment as running nitrous at half a litre per minute for one minute. Yeah, that's probably true. I've got some other d- numbers down here. So this t- um, this group from Queensland, I think it was, um, I think most of the authors were from, from Queensland, did um, so what they call a life cycle assessment of the different types of labour water analgesia. Those guys are in Melbourne, aren't they? Yeah, they might be. Oh, I I think, are they in Footscray? <laughs> I hate to throw them under the... to, to quote the wrong place. They're probably listening. <laughs> um... Yeah, they are in Melbourne. You're yeah, right. Yeah, I thought so. But they, they probably go for holidays in Queensland no. when it's cold. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? <laughs> in winter, they're in Queensland. Yeah. Okay, but I'm just making that up. And there was uh, someone from the UK as well, from Sunderland. I'm very sorry, um, guys. <laughs> I'm going to quote your, but I'm going to quote your figures a bit more accurately than where you're from. So, so they've done some life cycle assessments um, of the different types of analgesia. So four-hour labour. Was there a, was there um, assumption for which is a, like um, apparently an, uh, an average labour for a multiprous woman? I think it's a bit longer if you're nilipris. And if you use, you can read the article or the, or the link. But basically, if you use a nitrous oxide, and it all seems the reasonable assumptions they made about how much you, how many contractions, and how how much how many seconds you breathe it for. Using nitrous oxide for that whole labour is the equivalent of driving a car, fifteen hundred kilometres. So obviously a car releases a lot of carbon dioxide. So that's sort of trying to put it into sort of terms that a human brain can understand. Here to Port Hedland. Yeah. If you use an epidural for that labour, and that includes all the CO2 that's released manufacturing, the plastic and the tubing and the drug and the stuff, <coughs> that's equivalent to driving a car six kilometres. Um, if you gave them a PCA with fentanyl... Here to Cottesloe Beach. <laughs> Yeah, uh, probably a bit further to Cottesloe Beach. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. No, you're probably right, actually. Um, if you gave them a fentanyl PCA, I know we would, we would probably use Remy fentanyl, but it's maybe a bit further. It's five kilometres. And if you just drew up some morphine and jabbed it in their thigh, it's 0.6 kilometres. But we know that doesn't work very well. So You'd Probably get to McDonald's in Jolly Mike. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's a <laughs> point. Yeah, that's, a, that's only about 300 metres. <laughs> um so there is a big difference in their effects on the environment. Now, some people, you know, 
envir- the environmental effects of what we do, of our everyday life, our choices that we make is more important to some, some people than others. Mm. And, you know, in the big scheme of things, um, it's probably, you know, there's probably lots of other things like, you know, if you catch an error, uh, if you fly to Italy for a two-week holiday, you know, I'm sure mm. you're emitting a lot of greenhouse gases as well. But we all make decisions based on our values and um, beliefs. But it's important. I think it's interesting to know about these things. Yeah, we can probably do a lot of good by using alternative analgesia, yeah. more effective analgesia. Yep. In so labour, I think um, I don't think on behalf of women in the and the yeah, world. That's right. So mm. I think um, there's a lot of things that we can do if we if we did want to address this as a problem. One, we're just making access to alternative methods easier, and um, perhaps um, you. Inform you know, letting the women choose uh, a bit more because a lot I know a lot of patients care, would probably care about this issue and some of them might not but some a lot of them would yes um, and if they knew about this information they might make a different dis- choice um, the other things though is just the infrastructure that delivers um, nitrous oxide in the hospital is apparently um, prone to often to leaking and the storage and there's a whole lot of things where nitrous oxide can um, can be released in the atmosphere just because you don't maintain the infrastructure and and they've just got leaks and um, wastage of gas. The other thing, every time they empty a cylinder uh, from one of the banks in the hospital, they have to empty the whole thing. Yeah. So that's another source of potential significant waste and uh, environmental harm. Yep. Mm. Sweden, and Sweden have actually introduced some very expensive... um, um, Equipment which actually scavenges and captures the nitrous oxide, and then they um, destroy it. But apparently, that's very expensive. But that has that that technology mm. exists. Um, and then even there's there's some other things like you know, say for example, um, I mean maybe we should just be reassessing. This is a this is a sort of long term thing, but inhal- the inhalational analgesic that we use. I mean nitrous oxide is only one of like about eight that I quoted. Mm. So there's probably been more than ten used. In uh, methoxyfluorine, for example, which I don't really know much about, but the green whistle, which so that is still clinically in use, that um, that has a greenhouse warming potential of five compared to two hundred and sixty-five for nitrous, and that's because it breaks down within a few within fifty days in the atmosphere. So actually, mm. methoxyfluorine, um, which has been used um, in labour before and was used widely back in the nineteen sixties in some places, um, is actually a lot safer for the atmosphere. So whether we should Anyone out out there listening, whether we should be think, re-evaluating which um, inhalational drug we use, mm. if we are going to stick with some inhalational drugs in the long term, anyway, that might be something that um, in the big picture thing uh, scheme we think about. Anyway, hopefully that's a um, bit of I don't know uh, um, stuff to think about. Um, I know that I think nitrous oxide for general anaesthesia is really hardly ever used nowadays um it's really fallen out of favor even from when i started my career when it was almost every anesthetic was used and now it's almost hardly used at all so the world, I, the world I, definitely changes i i, I love to or I have loved to use nitrous in combination yeah. with propofol infusion yep for um particularly uh patients who are um you know elderly frail cardiovascularly um, challenged Yep, because it seems to work quite well. But reading these articles, it's yes. um, something I'll reconsider in future. Yes, I, I mean I used to occasionally use it for a general anaesthetic 
for an emergency caesarean because um, I thought it helped lower the sevoflurane sev- dose that I was giving, and you know, maybe that would help you try and prevent you try and Yes, but um, actually, I don't think yet yeah, re- reevaluating it nowadays. I don't use it because you can, once the baby's out, you can just give opioids and use um, propofol or other drugs to, mm. to lower the sevoflurane. You don't need to rely on nitrous oxide. Yes, we got. Th- so 35 minutes, we've, we've cracked two dad jokes. <laughs> I don't know it's how good that's. a lot were. of talking, Roger. And it's the first time by you. in 12, 12 months we've done a, a podcast together, so it's, we've achieved a lot. Mm. We had one co-blue paediatric, and I had, I just got two missed calls on my phone, which I ignored. <laughs> Thanks again, Graham. Thanks, Rog. Um, we have to get together again with a, a new topic soon. Absolutely. Thank you very okay. much. Cheers, mate. See Bye. you. Thanks for listening everyone please go to the itunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it write a review this will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the itunes menu if you're also interested please go to our website at www.opsandgynecritcare.org where there'll be lots of show notes and links to uh, interesting videos related to the topic that you've just listened to see you again next time